0: Thank you very much, Gina, and it's a a real pleasure to be able to share with you Melbourne City Church today and to be able to explore God's Word with you. Thank you for your welcome, Roy and Gina, uh, to this church. Lovely to see friends from afar. Um, I've just come back from Papua New Guinea, um, and as I look around, I see a lot of familiar faces from Vanuatu, um, Solomon Islands. Um, Samoa and uh, look forward to seeing you back in your fields again uh, fairly soon as well and also um, folk that we've ministered with and walked beside um, here in Australia and New Zealand as well this morning I want to take our reflection from the book of Acts uh, and we've entitled our study this morning um, following the spirit towards the tipping point for mission, moving towards the tipping point for mission. The Book of Acts is a fascinating uh, book to read in the World Changes Bible. This is on page uh, 874, if you're using a World Changes Bible, 874. This is one of the most exciting books in the Bible, the Book of Acts. It is the story of the activity of the Holy Spirit, following Jesus' ascension to heaven. So in the Gospels, you read the story of Jesus, uh, the whole story of Jesus, and his purpose in coming into this world to make disciples for his Father's kingdom. And we can follow that journey through, right through until he made the supreme sacrifice uh, on behalf of God, as God himself, You see quite clearly that the crucifixion of Jesus did not just involve Jesus, but tore a heart, the the heart of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, Just think of the uniqueness of the God that we read of in Scripture. A Father, a Jesus, Holy Spirit, um, equal yet subordinate to each other, um, in such close fellowship that God is spoken of as one. But the term that is used, one Lord, uh, that is used in the Jewish Shema in the Old Testament shows that we're not just talking of a singular but a unity of fellowship, a unity of community between the three persons, such unity that God is spoken of as, as one, beyond our comprehension beyond our comprehension. And that's why God can be spoken of as love. If God was just singular on his own, then that would be selfishness. But when you speak of three in one, now we're talking of an amazing unity, an amazing love, where the Father subordinates himself to the Son and to the Spirit. The Son subordinates himself to the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit subordinates himself to the Father and the Son. Just an amazing harmony that we see in God. And this is the story of Jesus. God made flesh in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And these Gospels end the story of Jesus with his death for us, his burial, his resurrection, and reference to his ascension at the end of some of the Gospels. And before Jesus left, he gave a clear commission Uh, A commission that is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 28. commission that as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we would also be involved in disciple making. This is not just the task of a clergy uh, group of people. Of course, in the New Testament, you don't read of a clergy group of people at all. Uh, In the New Testament, there's no such thing as a clergy. Uh, That was an invention post-Constantine in the 4th century. In the New Testament, every person is laity or laos, and uh, a similar word is even the word idiotus, which means idiots, because we are fools for Jesus, that we believe in him who is God made flesh, who died for us on the cross and rose out of the grave. Uh, And Jesus commissioned all his disciples, everybody who would follow him, to become a disciple maker. Unfortunately, as the centuries have rolled by, this has become the elite task of um, the the ones in the know, the the elite task of the clergy instead of every person involved. And the consequence is that many of us missed out on the joy and the excitement of engaging with neighbours and friends and actually introducing them to, to Jesus. So when we come into the book of Acts, we find these disciples, these followers of Jesus, the first ones, actually engaged in putting into practice the methods of disciple-making that Jesus had uh, modelled, the methods of disciple-making that Jesus had taught, and the methods of disciple-making that Jesus had commissioned. Unfortunately, Christian churches over the years have neglected these methods of Jesus and Sometimes we're prepared to spend any amount of money, as long as we don't have to follow the methods of Jesus, which methods we know are the only methods that really are effective because we're involved in the kingdom of God, in cultivating the kingdom of God. And so I've entitled my sermon, um, Following the Spirit, the tipping point for Mission." Let's just see if we've got this right. Sometimes technology works and sometimes it doesn't. Just make sure that. Are we getting anything, any signal through there? Right, okay. and we want to go to the book of Acts and just give a very quick survey and look at some really, a really significant story which has often been called the tipping point for mission. This story is actually found halfway through the book of Acts. Just before Jesus ascended to heaven, after his death, burial and resurrection, he was on this earth for another 40 days. That surprises some. And uh, he appeared to many people uh, demonstrating that he was real but also speaking about the kingdom of God. And then just before he left, he was eating with his disciples, talking with them, and uh, he he explained that in a few days the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. Uh, They wondered whether this would be the time when he would establish a kingdom of glory, where they would have some position of authority. And he said, no, it's not for you to know the time or the date when I will come back to establish the kingdom of glory, but you'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you you will be witnesses uh, for me of my resurrection. He's actually speaking of his resurrection in that context. He said you'll be you'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give you power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Uh, well, that was that was something they could do. Judea, um, that was okay for them. Samaria, that kind of would have been rattling their cage a little bit. Because the idea of them as Jewish disciples of Jesus going into Samaria was really not something that excited them. When Jesus had taken them into Samaria, they would have been very, very uncomfortable because the Samaritans, as far as Jews were concerned, were half-bred pigs. And, uh, and they felt unclean if they went into the fellowship of a Samaritan or just walked through their territory. And Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in uh, Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And of course, that's where we are, right out at the ends of the earth. And so he said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a very, very powerful, uh, very special person. He is a divine person. He is um, interested in every aspect of our lives. And he brings into our experience... Uh, close fellowship with our Father, God, and close fellowship with Jesus, our Saviour. In fact, Jesus said just before he died, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, we, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we will come and dwell with you and will actually be in you. So the Holy Spirit is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is a powerful person. The Holy Spirit is intimately involved in every person's life every person on the street, as you walked along the streets today or you came up the lifts and you met people, every person that you meet, the Holy Spirit is engaging with and drawing to look to Jesus. And when we choose to look to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives and brings the fellowship of the Father and the fellowship of Jesus into our lives. And through his presence. He actually empowers our words as we share the story of Jesus with people around us. Now, if you live in the kind of place where I live, um, people around us don't know very much about Jesus. Uh, Yesterday, my wife and I, we engaged with three families around our home. We had two families come into our home to pray. We went into home late last evening to pray. We have Buddhists and Muslims. Uh, We have... um, Uh, Hindus and Sikhs. We have a couple of atheist families. Uh, Those are the neighbors that are round about us. But people are spiritual. People are not secular. I don't speak of Australia as a secular society anymore. People are spiritual in the sense that they are interested in life and God and spirituality. It may not be the kind of God we think of, but people are open to discuss and open to talk and open to pray and to be prayed for. And so one family came in last night that we have not actually spent very much time with, but rang up in a crisis and said, could we pray with them? And so they've come in to, to pray. And when, you, when you're in that environment, you see, you're just speaking ordinary words, but the things that you say, you see having an impact because Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. And when we start speaking of Jesus, that story is taken with power into the hearts and the the lives of people around us. Now, as you go through the book of Acts, you find fascinating insights into the growth and the experience of the early church. It's it's a a story of many people coming to Jesus. Uh, I'll, I'll challenge your thinking a little bit. There's not a single story of a mass baptism in the book of Acts. You go back and check the story in Acts chapter 2, where on that particular day, 2,000, how many were baptised? 3,000. 1,000? 2,000? 3,000, right? But it was not a mass baptism. You look at the story very carefully, there was no mass baptism in the New Testament. In fact, the idea of a mass baptism is quite contrary to the methods of Jesus, But you see the excitement and the vitality of the the early church. You see, they knew how to pray. They knew what Holy Spirit baptism was. They knew what their message was. It was the message of Jesus who has lived for us, died for us, broken the power of sin, broken the power of the grave. And in the book of Acts, every believer was a minister. Every believer was a disciple maker. Every believer was engaged. Making disciples on the path of life, speaking the language of the people, engaged with people right on the path of life. One of the strengths of the witness of the early church is that they had their faith life right where the people lived. So they didn't leave home to go to church, they didn't leave their neighborhood to go to church. Church was right where they lived, in their home, with their neighbours around them. And a very important part of that was celebrating the Lord's Supper. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, we read that they shared the Lord's Supper in their homes every day. So every day they ate bread and drank wine, the grape juice, and uh, and blessed the bread and the grape juice as a symbol of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and their commitment to Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Now, have you ever thought about that, how revolutionary that was, just taking some bread and some grape juice on the table and praying God's blessing upon this with neighbours and friends in and out of the homes because you're right in the community all the time and you're praying, Lord, we want to thank you that Jesus, you are our Lord and Saviour. I can imagine some of the neighbours saying, hey, you can't say that because the Caesar of Rome, he has a title, Augustus, which means Lord and Saviour. He's Lord and Saviour, not Jesus. But of course, everyone who followed Jesus knew that he was Lord and Saviour. So here are some, just some factors that brought about the vitality of the early church. Now, when you come through to the centre of the story in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 8, you find a major transition because in the first chapters, Acts chapters 1 through to 7 with the execution of or the stoning of Stephen, you find that they were witnessing in Jerusalem. The early Jewish disciples were happy to witness in Jerusalem, although they ran into a lot of opposition there as well. But because of the stoning of Stephen, terrible persecution came upon those early believers and they were scattered. Some first went into Samaria. And there you have a whole story about the Samaritans coming to faith in Jesus. I'll get this system worked out in just a minute. This little button. Um, First of all, we read about Philip going into Samaria and a whole bunch of Samaritans becoming believers in Jesus. And the word got back into Jerusalem. Samaria has accepted Jesus as their saviour. And so Peter and John go out to Samaria. The people are baptised. They're baptised with the Holy Spirit. That was really confronting to the church in Jerusalem. That Samaritans were believing in Jesus as well as they who were Jewish people. So God was reaching out to Samaritans. And they received the same Holy Spirit as the believers in Jerusalem had received on the day of Pentecost. Then Peter was directed by the Spirit of God to go down towards the Gaza Strip. Um, The same Gaza Strip as you read about today in the news, exactly the same place. And he's on the road down towards the Gaza Strip and he finds uh, an Ethiopian official. The Ethiopian has been to Jerusalem to worship, but of course he couldn't have worshipped in Jerusalem. He would have been thrown out very quickly because not only was he an Ethiopian, but he was also a eunuch. And the law of Moses said no foreigner and no eunuch could go to the temple to worship. No eunuch could worship in the assembly or enter the assembly of God's people. So you can imagine this Ethiopian eunuch. He comes all the way from southern Sudan, South Sudan, Ethiopia, Juba, those sort of areas. And he comes up to, to worship in Jerusalem. It's a long hike. Um, he obviously has money. He has the support of the royalty of ethiopia and arrives in jerusalem of course to go to the temple mount he has to go to a mikveh or a place of ceremonial washing and there it's revealed quite obviously that he's a eunuch sexually different and uh and so the men would have thrown him out straight away there's no way he could get near the temple mount now remember jesus said some people are made that way as eunuchs um, because of their work or because they become slaves. But some men are born that way as eunuchs, sexually different. And whichever it was, whether born that way or made that way, they could come not come near the house of God, not come near the temple. But someone had given this person or he had purchased a copy of the writings of Isaiah. And so on the way home, he's reading this Prophecy of Isaiah 53:54 through to 56 about a suffering servant, and how this suffering servant would be bruised and crushed, and this Ethiopian eunuch is, "That's the language of a eunuch. That's what happens to a eunuch. Is he speaking?" when Peter comes to the charity, he asks, "Is he speaking of himself, or is he writing about somebody else?" And from that point, uh, Philip picks up the story and speaks to the Ethiopian about Jesus. This is a prophecy concerning Jesus. Now, this was quite unique because no Jewish authorities had ever spoken about that prophecy of the suffering servant as referring to Jesus. But Jesus had spoken of himself as the one who would come as a fulfillment of those prophecies. So it seemed that somebody who believed in Jesus had encouraged him to read this story of of Isaiah, the suffering servant. And you read through the story, Isaiah 53, Uh, he'd be bruised and crushed for us and you come through to chapter 56 and it says so that all foreigners and all eunuchs might come into the assembly of God's people. So everybody, foreigners, not only Jews, Samaritans, foreigners and even those who are sexually different, that's what the prophecy said, would be through Jesus Christ gathered into the assembly of God's people. Now this is a a transition story we would say the next story is also a confronting story because the next story in Acts chapter 9 is the story of the conversion of Saul Saul had been the one um, supporting the execution of Stephen when he was when he was stoned outside the city of Jerusalem Saul had led the persecution that resulted in men and women being dragged from their homes. Why were men and women dragged from their homes when he's attacking the church? Because there was no church building. There was no church building until the 4th century after the time of Constantine. They met in homes, they met in uh, lecture halls, they met beside the river, they met on beaches. We read of all those different places in the New Testament, but no church building. When Constantine gave church buildings to the Christian church, he totally changed the nature of church at that particular point. So Paul, Saul, as he was known to start with, he became the apostle Paul later. He's going from house to house, dragging up men and women and, and throwing them into prison. And later he said, also executing some of them. And then on the way to Damascus, just outside Damascus, Jesus meets him. Here is this man who's fighting against the idea that Jesus is alive. No way. He's fighting against these people of the way, these followers of Jesus. No way. And then Jesus meets him. That was such a confronting experience to meet the risen Christ that he never forgot it. And you read the story of the book of Acts and you'll find that Jesus actually appeared to Saul who became the apostle Paul a number of times In the ensuing years, he actually appeared to him and encouraged him to remain faithful on his mission then of telling the story of Jesus. But the idea of Samaritans coming to Jesus, that was confronting. The idea of Ethiopian sexually different people coming to Jesus, that is disturbing. The idea that their arch enemy had done everything to wipe out these followers of the way that he would come to Jesus that was really disturbing and so people in Jerusalem had great difficulty receiving him when he came back to Jerusalem after evangelising down in Arabia coming back to Damascus back to Jerusalem he only survived for one week before he was basically thrown out of Jerusalem and he was sent by the apostles back to his home territory of Cilicia he was the that's the third story But such an important story that this story of Saul and his conversion is repeated three times in the book of Acts. But there's another story that is repeated three times as well, and that's the story of the Italian centurion Cornelius. And I thought that we'd read this story and spend a few moments looking at this story. Um, This is the governor's palace. So this is where Pontius Pilate... Heard of Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate was the governor who, who tried Jesus. This is where he actually lived. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He was only visiting Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' death. He was visiting there for Passover because that's where his subjects were. But he didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived down beside the sea in a magnificent palace that Herod the Great had, had built uh, before him when Herod the Great was the governor of the whole territory of uh, Judea, Perea, Samaria, and Galilee, whereas Pontius Pilate was just responsible for a very small piece of that, of that territory. And then um, Paul later, he came here and he spent two years in prison in this particular place. But you'll remember the story in Acts chapter 8, uh, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10 and 11 of Peter. And uh, Peter's on the rooftop of a house in Joppa a little south from this area, Tel Aviv today. And uh, he's, he's waiting for lunch. Uh, so he wasn't the new age man preparing his lunch himself. He's waiting for someone else to serve it for him. He's up on the roof and he has a vision. And this vision appears three times. A vision of unclean animals, snakes and lizards and all kinds of things in the sheet coming down from heaven. And God tells him, Peter, get up and eat. At the third time, and each time he said, I don't eat this stuff, Lord, this is unclean. But the third time, there's a knock at the door. And there's some men, some Gentiles, who have come in from Caesarea, um, servants of the centurion Cornelius, this Italian. So this fellow is right from the heart of the Roman Empire. He is from the capital city of the Roman Empire. He represents everything pagan and everything Gentile. His house would have been full of idols and statues. Uh, Everything about this fellow was pagan. And for Jews, it was really against all the regulations to go into the home of such a person. But Peter sees this vision. I don't eat unclean things, Lord. Three times and then there's a knock on the door. And he realized that this vision was not about the food that he was eat, to eat. But this vision, this vision was not about the menu that would be there available for lunch. But this was about the men standing at the door. These Gentile pagans who are at the door. So let's look at the story. I'd like you to um, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Because in Acts chapter 11, we have the, the story is retold. Uh, we have the full story in Acts chapter 10. And then in Acts chapter 11, when Peter gets to Jerusalem, he's challenged by the Jewish believers in Jesus. How could you go to the home of Cornelius, uh, an Italian? We've heard about this. You're going to the home of a pagan. That is not not right according to our Jewish law. We're followers of Jesus, but we are Jews. So how could you do that? Uh, so Peter has to defend himself. And in Acts chapter 11, he, he tells the story. Let's look at the story. I'm going to read it once. Then I'm going to get you to turn to each other in little groups of three, at the most four, just where you're seated, just turn towards each other. Two, three. Three probably going to work best. And one person will read it again, right? Uh, you have the Bible there on your, on your chairs. Um, this is Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure, unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven again a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he'd seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptised with water, but you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life? It's a great story. This is the transition stories. These are the transition stories. And this particular story is called the tipping point for mission. Before that, Jewish Christians felt only comfortable working amongst Jews. But Jesus had said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And Luke has recorded these four stories of the gospel going to Samaritans, the gospel reaching Ethiopian sexually different people, the gospel reaching their arch persecutor, and the gospel reaching even the Italians, even the Gentile of Gentiles. Now, I'd like you to read the story with each other again and and then use the little bookmark that's on your chair... On the back of this bookmark is Discovery Bible Reading. There's five questions there. So one person read the story again. One person then tell the story in their own words in about one and a half, two minutes without looking at the story. And then ask, Is there been anything new in this story? Anything that surprises us? Anything we don't understand? So just a little group of two, three, no more than four Uh, One person read the story again. One person tell the story. Then we're going to go into our discussion time. So we're going to flow straight into our discussion time today. Thank you. Let's just turn to each other, create little groups. And one person read the story again from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through to 18. Yes, there's more on the the table. Don't have a bookmark. There's more bookmarks out on the table. We'll bring those in now for you. I'll come and help bring those in. Okay, how'd you go? Did you find something that was new or surprising? Anything new or surprising that you discovered? Would anybody like to share what you might have found? What was. What was new to you? What was surprising to you? Yes, Kathy? Yes. Right. Yes, yeah, that's interesting. There were, so the three came and then there's Peter and these other um, six, so there's 10 altogether uh, who went the next, the next day. Because in the earlier story, it actually says in Acts chapter 10, it gives more detail in the first telling of the story. And um, those men actually stayed overnight. So that was, that was something that uh, Peter and uh, the family would welcome uh, these pagan Gentiles into their home and they stayed overnight. So they would have been eating and drinking and sharing together. And then the next day they set off for Caesarea Maritima. Anything else that you found that was new it might be something factual like that or some insight that you gained that was new or surprising Yes Kevin I love the verse in, verse and five where God says, in every nation Yes yes says, Those who do what Right, to him. right. So, yes but out the of God's Right. Right, so this man, um, he's living out. In in the earlier story, you find that he's very generous towards the poor. Um, He's really helping the community. He's engaged with the community. And and God sees the heart of those who are living according to the principles of heaven, um, indicating, as we know from elsewhere in the New Testament, that people will be in the kingdom who have never heard the name Jesus. Yeah. Um, everybody is saved through the name of Jesus but uh, there will be people in the kingdom who've never heard the name of Jesus yeah some interesting insights there Kevin thank you something else that you found isn't it interesting you know I'm sure Kathy and Kevin won't mind me drawing attention to them but I mean they've been reading the Bible for a long time and uh, and when we do it like this you actually find that you uh, you gain insights into uh, more ideas and and the leading of God. Anything else that you found new or fresh, as you read? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, That's that's a very interesting statement right at the end. You look at the response of these um, Jewish believers in Jesus and they've said, okay, now we can see. Um, It's interesting that Peter Peter is clearly uncomfortable when he gets to the home of Cornelius. Um, he he, He has word that an angel has already been in the house, the Spirit of God has called him, and... As he enters the home, you can kind of see Peter apologizing. I'm not really supposed to be here because you folk are really unclean. And I'm not really supposed to be here. But I've come anyhow because the angel told me and the spirit of God told me. And the angel is already in the house and the spirit of God is already in the house. And so uh, don't blame me type of thing. Um, And then when the Jerusalem believers hear, they say God has even given salvation to the Gentiles and so the the conflict was resolved for that time now as you continue through reading through the book of acts you find that uh, this was not totally resolved in fact at the end of his third missionary journey paul comes back to jerusalem and after he had been converted on the road to damascus before he went on his missionary journeys he only lasted for a week in jerusalem and when he came back at the end of his third missionary journey, he only lasted for a week and it was people within the church who tried to kill him. Um, these were legalists who had become part of the Christian faith and they tried to kill him and he was forced to flee uh, from the city of Jerusalem. Yeah, thanks for drawing attention to those last verses in the story in Acts chapter 11. Another insight that you gained. Did anyone get to questions four and five, right? Um, so you know, we're not just to be hearers of the word, but doers. So what, what would we apply to our lives out of this story? And what would we share with somebody else out of this story? And who might we share it with this week? Um, those two questions, questions four and five, are really important in our understanding We just have a couple more minutes involved in our discussion time. I'm going to put some other questions up on the screen here. Um, Why do you think this story is the tipping point for mission in the Book of Acts? From this point on, uh, believers who were scattered from Jerusalem, they end up in Antioch. So the headquarters for mission shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch, a multicultural city, 400-430 kilometres to the north of Jerusalem. And this city became the hub of these missionary journeys out into the Gentile or pagan world. Journey number one with Paul going to Cyprus and up into uh, central Anatolia or Turkey today and then back to Pamphylia on the coast. Uh, Journey number two that took him across into Macedonia, uh, what we'd call Europe today, and down into Archaea, And from there, from Corinth, up the Croatian, uh, Dalmatian, uh, Albanian coast and then third missionary journey across into Ephesus, across Asia and then consolidating the work in those other places, all Gentile territories. Um, so this story is a, a major shift from the first part of Acts where the witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and uh, a little bit in Samaria, then that started to explode. So why do you think this story is the tipping point for mission? On what basis could Peter choose to put aside old taboos? Now, taboos that he was putting aside and taboos that Philip put aside in engaging with the Ethiopian, they were biblical taboos. These were law of Moses taboos. These were not just taboos of culture. So on what basis could Peter put aside these taboos? How does Jesus reinterpret life, the scriptures and prophecy? Because really it comes back to the person Jesus and the activity of the Holy Spirit. How how did Jesus shift interpretation of life, meaning, prophecy even? What was the big change that took place? Um, through Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, his presence in this world, and what treasured taboos might the spirit challenge today? I want you to spend a few moments uh, in group discussion, often here at, I understand here at City Church, there's always a discussion time, and so we've had some discussion, and this, this time we just have 15 minutes of ongoing discussion, and you may like to work, work through these questions, or you may like to go back to what would you apply or obey what would you share with somebody else? Back in your groups for another 10, 15 minutes. Some of you have had some very interesting discussions as you've um, delved into these questions. Um, question, number, question number two attracted quite a bit of discussion. And question number three, um, a couple of groups asked me about question number three. How does Jesus reinterpret life, the Scripture, and prophecy? And um, that's a very important question because when you come to the life of Jesus and you see how much change because of God's intervention into the affairs of humanity and the death of Jesus, I was walking with a theologian, an evangelical theologian in Israel recently, and. Uh, Of course, I'd heard this big group that I was doing some teaching with. Uh, I was then the the only Adventist in the group, but I'd been hearing them talking about the prophecies of Ezekiel and Zechariah and the prophecies of the Old Testament and how these prophecies would be fulfilled in the literal nation of Israel and uh, how when Jesus would come, he'd put his feet on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives would spread apart and, and that type of thing. And uh, I was walking with this senior theologian, and he, he asked me the question Now He said, Peter, I've just been listening to some of your teaching. I was teaching for the group as well. And I perceive that you're coming at, at some of these issues of interpretation and prophecy from quite a different perspective. And then he asked me a significant question. He said, what is the basic hermeneutic that you would operate from? In other words, what is the key principle of interpretation for life, for scripture, for prophecy? What's the key principle of interpretation? And I said to him, John, the key principle of interpretation, the key hermeneutic is Jesus himself. I said, He changed everything. He changed everything. And what we're wrestling with in this story of Peter is a, a, a wrestle. This is a transition point because the way they looked at life, the way they looked at Old Testament prophecy, the way they looked at Old Testament uh, laws, the laws of Moses, the way they looked at sanctuary, all of these doctrinal and prophetic ideas came into a different focus in meeting Jesus. And uh, Jesus is the principle of interpretation, the hermeneutic. What, what um, treasured taboos might the Spirit challenge you with today, right? I think some were wrestling with that particular question. Um, just a few weeks ago, just just before going to Papua New Guinea, uh, our neighbours who are Buddhists, and we uh, spend a lot of time, we're talking about Jesus, we're reading the Bible, we pray with them often. Uh, they invited us on Friday evening to the to the Hindu temple, even though they're Buddhists. Would you come to the Hindu temple with us because we have they're a cafeteria and they serve really nice food. It's, it's like a little commercial cafe. And so we went with them and spent two two and a half hours with them and I must say that although I spend a lot of time um, we just spend our lives invested in our community I must say that to start with, it was it was, quite a, uh, a transitional experience, as I dealt with some taboos in my own experience, right? Um, but I can tell you, um, we have gotten closer to that couple uh, through that opportunity of sitting with them. Because as we sat there, we were confronted with the reality that our worldview through Jesus and all that we know about Jesus and God and the presence of the Holy Spirit, our worldview was totally challenged and confronted by just sitting there and talking with them in that environment and realizing, hey, this is a totally different world with a different worldview. We'll talk about that a little bit more this afternoon when we talk about sharing faith in a multi-faith and no-faith world. Uh, with the basic concept that if you can eat, you can share your faith. And that comes from the teaching of Jesus. Um, So I hope that you've been challenged by the Spirit of God as you have wrestled with this key transition story, a story that takes us through to the tipping point of mission and then from then on in the book of Acts, it's a different story. You may like to check that out. By reading Acts, I would suggest from verse 1, right to the end of chapter 28 Uh, always read bible books from beginning to end don't jump verse here verse there verse somewhere else you'll make the bible say anything if you do that start with chapter one verse one of each book and just read each book like a letter and read the book of Acts like that if you can in one sitting and your life will be changed god bless you lord we want to thank you for the opportunity of sharing a time of worship study, reflection. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have been present with us. And through your presence, you've brought beautiful fellowship with our Father and with our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we could share this time together. And now we're going to eat. We ask for your blessing upon the food and upon our fellowship as we continue to think about uh, what you have challenged us with this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.